Hello and welcome to Dungeon Jedi Masters, a podcast discussing everything Star Wars 5e. My name is Todd, I've got Tegan here, and we're looking forward to jumping into hyperspace with you. Let's go! Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dungeon Jedi Masters Podcast Season 4, Episode 16. Tegan, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good. Enjoying some Ahsoka, so uh, definitely been some good Star Wars lately. Absolutely. So when this podcast drops, that evening will be the final of the season. It's been fantastic. Uh, you know, won't say anything beyond that. Definitely a lot of great, uh, I think, additions or otherwise to lore and things. So uh, for those that haven't yet, be sure to check it out indeed. Welcome everyone to today's episode. Uh, looking forward to this one. We're going to talk custom mechanics, custom rules, custom items and things. We've got a great guest with us, Ty from Adventure Slang Productions. Uh, we had his daughter on a little bit ago. Together they created the game New Ovarden. Uh, so we're going to touch on that a little bit and just dive into that discussion. In the meantime, uh, be sure to check us out, DungeonJediMasters.com, for access to all of our own content, including this podcast, a YouTube channel for VODs of actual plays and tutorial videos, things like that, uh, Instagram and Twitter for content updates, and uh, of course, uh, Patreon. Patreon is the best way to support the content we do and uh, get something back as well. Uh, we have some new members since last time we were on here. So uh, at tier two, shout out to Jungle Jim, Leah, Jed, who took advantage of a year discount, and then Michael. Uh, Tegan, we've got a few tier three members. Yeah, big shout out to our tier three members. Uh, thank you, Tanner, Ben, and Rogue Firefly. Appreciate all of you new members there and all of our existing uh, Patreons as well. Uh, just really love that support. And for all of you uh, with this podcast today, Tier 2 members uh, will be seeing our latest Patreon release. Tier 3 saw a preview last week. Uh, Tegan, the Space Hex Locale. This is our last uh, Hex Locale of the year. Every quarter we've been doing a different location. So we've hit space. Uh, we've got a nice big asteroid field to explore as well. Tell us a little bit about what the players and uh, the GMs can expect from this piece. Definitely. So it's all about space. Uh, so we mixed this a little bit. So there's a lot of exploration that you can do uh, going through the asteroid field, which is a Zerka owned with some rare minerals inside. Or if you're willing or brave or stupid enough to make your way inside of it to see if you can find the iridium. Uh, there's also a sp old spaceship from the Old Republic era that's been thought to be lost in hyperspace until now that's appeared. And there's some crazy stuff inside either way you go. And we've got some fun adventures and quests that relate to that side of it as well. Uh, and it's kind of a, the, the big hub space station, too, in the middle that kind of brings everything together. So definitely a lot of uh, areas you can kind of go through and explore and different hooks for your crew. Uh, if you like uh, the Purgles, the big space whales, they've got a little bit of uh, an encounter with them as well, too, on that side. Yeah, lots to explore there. Uh, obviously, you know, space uh, locale, you know, there, there's so much wide openness to that. Um, this one was fun. Uh, Tegan mentioned that Old Republic starship. Uh, it doesn't have a specific location on the hex. You can actually roll for that, which I think is a cool uh, little aspect of this. So tier two and three members, you will have access to that on our Patreon. 
Uh, so be sure to check that out. And then later the rest of this year, an adventure for that uh, community inspired adventure as well as we've done before. So if you want to submit some ideas for that, uh, we'll have links on how to do so for that. Uh, I think that's most of everything on the front end, other than uh, our other YouTube content, Tegan Invasion. We've got an episode tonight, I believe, for that. Yeah, so Occupation now, uh, but uh, the sequel to Invasion, uh, we are going live to, or to tonight at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern time. So make sure you come through and get to see how the crew uh, progresses there uh, in the midst of uh, infiltrating an enemy base to uh, in the arc we're calling assassinations and acquisitions. Uh, they're trying to take out uh, the enemy uh, commander of the base, Yuzon Vong commander, uh, while at the same time trying to uh, sweet talk a mercenary company that may be going traitor and uh, siding with the Yuzon Vong. So they're going to see if they can get onto this enemy planet where they'll be surrounded by foes, assassinate someone, and hopefully acquire uh, the mercenary company's contract. So it'll be fun to see how they're doing. They're off to a, a, a good and crazy start. So uh, we'll see how their luck continues or if uh the luck finally ends for him absolutely so yeah everyone go check that out uh tegan remind us again uh, if you hadn't there your where to find that definitely so it'll be at 7 p.m it'll be on my uh youtube channel tegan j gaming uh if you want to watch live with us uh so uh tegan j gaming at youtube uh otherwise uh the tuesday after we play it'll be on uh dungeon jedi masters the the video on demand well, that's everything on the front end announcement wise. Uh, so we'll dive in here. I'll bring Ty on and have a conversation with him about custom mechanics and otherwise. All right, everyone. Very excited to have Dungeon Mr. Ty from Adventure Slang Productions here. Ty, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm still riding the high of Big Bad Con, so uh, it'll get me through the fatigue. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to... Uh, see what comes out of that, that energy for our conversation today. As we mentioned at the beginning, uh, we're going to talk about uh, custom mechanics, uh, custom items and things, rule sets that you can bring into your game. Um, obviously, we talk Star Wars 5e here, but this can apply across the board. Uh, but first, Ty, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, give us that brief history about your uh, TTRPG background and how you got into that. Sure. I mean, I started playing way back in the 80s with, you know, like advanced D&D &D and basic and all that kind of stuff. But I got into the field professionally in a formal way. In around 2016, I started doing some playtesting for um, the Tome of Beasts, actually, when it came out. Um, so I, I got kind of into that mode, you know, that mode. And then um, when Carbon 21 came, uh, 2185 came out, it's a cyberpunk game that came out of the UK. Um, I got hired by Rob, um, Rob Mariner Dodds at, at the owner of the company and the creator of the game as an editor. And I worked with, uh, him on editing the core rule book and then gradually I became a writer there. I did some design consulting for absolute tabletop and their, uh, guide to dead man's, uh, uh, guide to dragon, sorry, dragon grin, um, setting which was a 5e setting. And then I worked with an offshoot uh, employee, a former employee with Dragon Turtle, uh, the Dead Channel Studios was doing some writing. So I was doing writing and editing uh, before I finally got into my own products. Awesome. Yeah. How was it kind of making that transition from a hobby to a career with uh, the tabletop industry? You know, I'd had my eye on it. I, I've got a background with in English. I've been an English instructor for a long time. I wanted to be a writer my whole life. I actually started college because I thought I was going to go learn how to write fantasy. Then I got into classic literature and all the, you know, the heavies and followed the uh, that 
toned that uh, line for a while. And then now that I've been out of college for a long time, been teaching, gotten back into tabletop, now I'm writing fantasy again. <laughs> it all comes full circle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, uh, I know, Ty, um, just from our relationship, I know you uh, have played a lot of different games and whatnot. Um, what, uh, quickly, what are, what's your breadth of systems that uh, you've kind of covered, you know, all back when you started? Yeah, well, back when I started, there were a lot of the TSR games, of course, you know, Boot Hill and Gamma World and Top Secret and all those kinds of things, but also Twilight 2000 and its first iteration, Cyberpunk 2013, which was the very first um, edition of Cyberpunk before it went on to the all the way to Cyberpunk Red like we have now. Uh, Recon, which was the role-playing game of the Vietnam War, which was a kind of a cult classic. Later on, Torg. Um so that's those are sort of the games in my background. And then the, the leap I made back into 5e, then I picked up things like Call of Cthulhu, Blades in the Dark, uh, Morkborg, Mutant Epoch, and still learning a lot of other systems just through actual plays and, and things like we do with Mothership and, and things like that. So probably 30, I know probably 24 to 30 systems uh, myself. That's awesome. Tegan, you got to be get, getting up there with all that you're doing. I'm not, not sure how many I've played, but my like my bookcase is starting to look pretty crazy now. Ty, with, um, what, do you have a favorite outside of your own, obviously, New of Arden, but do you have a favorite system or a system that you, it could be this uh, flavor of the day at least, because I know sometimes you, know, you can go to one or the other. Call of Cthulhu has been a favorite for a long time. Um, Morkborg is a newer favorite that I enjoy as is Mothership. So the, I guess the darker, grittier, um, games are something I like a lot, which is funny because New of Arden is sort of more serendipitous mm -hmm. and, you know, sort of whimsical in some aspects, but, um, I do like a, a dark gritty story. So the system now, you know, when I talk about systems, you've got like also dice systems. Like I like right. the 20 systems. I like the hundred systems. Um, a lot. I think I favor them over like D10s and D6s. Um, then of course, you know, I like the four. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that was going to kind of be my transition. Cause I was going to ask, you mentioned the dark and gritty. So, you know, setting, but then for the system wise, what do you like there? Um, and so we'll get into that. Uh, New of Art in your game is based on the D4. And I believe you said just because there's not really a D4 system out there and you wanted to do that. And that's kind of what you went with. Uh, is that, is that kind of sum up part of the reason for that? You know, honestly, the philosophy there is that I wanted to see if I could create a mechanic that was as minimalist in terms of interfering with the narrative, but as expansive and robust within that um, limited scope to create something that was still really dynamic. And I think we have that. I'm really pleased with the outcome with the D4 system. It is, um, it's rangy to, it's rangy in like percentages, similar to like a D20 system. But it is quicker, I think, and simple in comprehension, but complex in application. I know you probably can't do like the full spiel, but give us a little bit of an elevator pitch on how it works with the, the D4. Yeah, you bet. Uh, so the, the target number of a success is a four on the die. And you start with two dice and you'll end up with as many as four. But any single action, you wouldn't roll more than two dice to attempt to hit that four. And then it has a primacy pool that allows you to change the outcome of one die. So you, you mess with percentages that way, depending on what you roll. And then it has some other features like an assist, ro uh, assist roll that an out-of-turn player can throw in on your roll. One of their um, 
their dice cash dice and spend one to try to support you. And so it, what it does is it creates combinations of outcomes that uh, create a lot of random results and unexpected results. So we've, you know, pretty much if you roll a four, you succeed. If you roll double fours, you get a high success. Um, there are crit failures, standard failures. And then on with the assist factor, if the triples comes up, then it becomes a manifesting event. And that's kind of like a wild, unexpected 50-50 good or bad outcome that affects both uh, characters in that exchange. Yeah, I, you know, I know I've uh, played it a couple times and uh, enjoyed one just really at a really base level, you know, that using the D4, um, you know, is very different from what's out there. So that's just a nice change. But uh, I, I think it's executed very well and in, in just how that works in the game mechanics. And I think through the gameplay that I experienced, at least, you know, it worked well, it made sense, it was simple, it was intuitive, and, and I think it worked out. So... Thanks. Yeah. It's always fun to bust out your D4s too. I mean, my D4s, D12s, I feel like don't get enough love. <laughs> I, I have 12 sided D4s that I just found recently. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. 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 And uh, they're, you know, so it's not the standard Caltrop. And there's some other shapes out there as well. So hopefully we'll bring more love to the D4 and more shapes will be created and then dice makers will be as excited as I am. Yeah. There's a game I just backed. It's a, a Legend of Zelda style game. Um, Heroes of Cerulea, I think it is. Check it out. 8 bit art. It's beautiful. Uh, but they're doing eight sided D4s. So it'll just be a D8, but they're one through four uh, double on there. So really excited for that. Cause that system is also D4, which is really cool. So I always wonder what an, what an odd shape with multiple limited options, what mm -hmm. the percentages are. I wonder if how, if that actually changes the randomization <laughs> or not. We were playing I, a game with somebody that had a D12, D6. And I was like, no, I don't like that. That's not, that's, that's, uh, it felt like it was uh, working better to the player's advantage, I thought. It was, yeah, it was funny. Yeah, so let's dive into, you know, our, our core conversation here. I think good transition. Um, you know, I really enjoy coming up with little bits of, you know, custom mechanics or custom items or things like that. Tegan, I know you as well. Uh, in our recent Patreon uh, release we just put out, Tegan, you come up with some rules there for some rat ghoul infection? Yeah, rat ghoul, uh, rat ghoul infection, I think. And then the, uh, the spacesuit rules. Uh, and the spacesuit, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, you know, some custom things there that we have definitely done on our side. You know, that's something that I personally really enjoy. You know, you come along and you got a situation that comes up and, you know, the core rule set doesn't have anything for that. And I think, you know, the empowerment that you can get out of uh, as a DM, a GM to create something to work for that, I think is fantastic. One thing I sometimes struggle with is... I'll throw like air quotes around the word balance or if it works with, you know, the system, what are the numbers like, uh, and we're talking 5e here. So those DCs, like, is it high enough? Is it low enough? Is it a right DC? And in my you know experience, I just kind of throw it at the wall and adjust on the fly as needed. You know, I think that's what works for the most part. Tegan, do you have anything on that thought in regards to kind of coming up with those, those measurements uh, in, in some custom mechanics? Definitely. And it's kind of like it varies by level. Oh, with D&D, &D, it always kind of varies by level, uh, especially kind of what grouping. The Star Wars 5e expertise is a little bit more common than it is in typical 5e. So I usually do have like groupings by level. Like, so if something for hard, like for like a level five character, I'll either set it like uh, sometimes 18, 19, so they have a little bit of a difficulty to get to it if it's supposed to be more of a medium, 14, 15. Uh, I just kind of throw them around. And 
Uh, that's really one of the things for anybody that's new to playing Star Wars 5e. Expertise is a lot more common. So if you do want to give somebody a challenge, there's going to be most likely someone in your party uh, that has the skill, unless it's nature and it has expertise in it. Nature, nobody ever takes it. Uh, or animal handling, usually. So you can get away with whatever you want to with that. But other skills, most likely somebody has expertise in it. Yeah. So, and there's those good guidelines on how to set those DCs. I think that's a great way to start. Um, Ty, I wanted to throw it over to you now. In, in kind of in general, if it's even just a little thing, like I've got some of my examples pulled up, uh, I did a little item that was a consumable and uh, a blue milkshake. So we all know blue milk from Star Wars, a milkshake, uh, which gives you some temporary hit points, eh, but you have to make a con save to avoid the brain freeze. You know, fun little thing there. And, and um, you know, if that, or if it's something a little more advanced, like uh, we were talking about these spaceship, or sorry, space suit rules or otherwise, but what would be like, what would be your mindset? And you can kind of talk this through with new of but what would be your mindset when you're like, I've got the situation. I want to come up with rules for that or mechanic for that. What's, what's kind of, how does that get started for you? It starts for me with the, uh, the exchange, like you kind of talked about, there has to be a give and take. So if you're going to get this benefit from this item, what are you giving up? I think that that's a real important aspect of balance. And like Tegan said, with regard to, to, fitting it to the right level. Philosophically, I'm a little less inclined to worry about that um, because how many great items are out there in our role-playing games that the players never get a chance to use because we just won't give them to them because we're afraid it's going to break the game. But how many times has it ever broken the game? Like right. I've given fifth level players in D&D &D, uh, an orb of dragon kind uh, because even though it's an artifact, because thematically I could write the story around it to where it never broke the game um, and it challenged them and it wasn't permanent, you know, um, it's, it, it's kind of a, uh, a red herring and a tease to give a player um, a really nice item for a really short, a really short time when you never intended for them to hold on to it. And by the same token, you can give them a low level item that changes the narrative in epic ways all the way through their high levels. So it's more a matter of how the story develops for me than it is on the power of the item. Um, that being said, in New of Arden, uh, we've got rumor relics, which are kind of like those fantastic, uh, super powerful items. Um, and they, they, they probably very much imitate like, um, what's the word in, in 5e for something like that, the um, legendary items. But again, there's always a balance. And then at the lower level items, I think, okay, what, what would a simple but empowered item look like? Well, it's going to have probably one primary feature and that's probably all it's going to do. And it's not going to be earth breaking or world breaking. It's just going to be cool. So the, you know, you kind of go rule of cool balance and then, and then really ask yourself, how often do, can we actually break the game? Um, I can see breaking the game in certain character builds with really crunchy systems. Um, my friend, Tim, um, Blackmore Flan, he uh, purportedly was able to take uh, playtesting in Pathfinder 2E and create this ridiculously overpowered character. It can happen there. But when it comes to a single item, I, I think it's really hard to do, honestly. Yep. And I think one of the things you is a really good point, especially for new game masters on that side, give them a party of single use items, single or small use batches. You can make it ridiculously crazy. 
Uh, the weird thing is players will like start hoarding them though too. So they'll have one battle, they go all out, uh, but they'll hold on to whatever that cool thing you gave them. Uh, they may be overpowered uh, until like the last battle and then just have a lot of fun busting them out. And that's something I've been doing a lot lately. Just those single use items. Uh, they can have some fun with if they want to. They can hoard if they don't want to. And uh, can you don't have to worry about them like repeatedly using whatever broken strategy can emerge from it. Wait till the, per- you know, waiting for that perfect moment to use that, but uh is that ever going to come up? Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. I, Ty, I think everything you said is, is beautiful. And, and I think it's such a great mindset to have for these things. And I mean, that, that kind of focuses a little bit specifically with items. Um, but I think that works great. And it can apply as we pull out here a little bit to, um, you know, now like mechanics and other things like that. Uh, Tegan, if you could, if you got it top of mind, uh, run down the uh, spacesuit mechanics that you come up with. Oh, definitely. So, uh, it was one of the things I was kind of surprised by. I wanted to do a space session for um, one of the adventures, and I realized that there were no rules for it. Uh, so I wanted to make sure it was, because if you're fighting out in space, getting hurt, that's supposed to be frightening. It's supposed to kind of give you a little bit of fear that if your suit tears or something happens, you could pretty much die in the vacuum of space. So I wanted it to look frightening, but still have like some balance around you so people aren't getting one shot and killed. Uh, so with that, I, what did I do with the mechanics? Uh, so I think I said if uh, you got crit, or more than 15 points of damage from one attack, uh, it would potentially tear your suit. And I couldn't remember to roll with that too. Uh, but once your suit's teared, uh, you start having to making constitution saves uh, and with them progressively getting more difficult each round that your suit's teared. Uh, and if you fail it, uh, what did I say for that? Oh, I think your, yeah, your HP automatically drops to zero. You fall unconscious, begin making death saves. Uh, but I gave them a way to patch their suits, too, with, I think, a technology and maybe survival check uh, so they can patch it and go in, but they have to decide and use their action to that, or they want to keep fighting, uh, are they confident in their constitution roles, or uh, so they've got options there. They just got to figure out which way they want to roll with it. Yeah, I think that's great. It's It's a lot of fun for those little situations, because I think a system can't cover it can be difficult for a system to cover every little situation, right? So, you know, the tools are kind of there to come up with that stuff. Uh, Ty, throw it back over to you with a situation like that, um, you know, whether it's a new Varden or whatever else, you know, again, what might be a mindset there as you come across something and be like, how am I going to execute this for my players and make it engaging, fun, et cetera? As a game designer, I thought a lot about the rules from all these different systems that I've experienced and where do they slow down, bog down for me? And a couple of examples are chase rules, drowning rules, Um, things that like chase rules for one thing in role-playing games are just terrible. They're they're very few good chase rules. Um, I created a chase rule that I think is pretty cool. It's sufficient and it creates a little formula and then it's just a roll off and then you determine it. You're not like trying to move pieces across the board and measure them out with your ruler and see how much table you have left or anything like that. Um, it's it's more of a skill challenge. And then uh, with like, I'm thinking of like the, the suffocation kind of thing, like you're swimming. So in 5e, raw, you can hold your breath for like three minutes or five minutes or 12 minutes. You never get to that point. So there's no ever, there's never any danger unless it's a railroaded situation where you're, you're drowning or you're smothering. Um, in New of Arden, uh, once you are in a situation where you can't breathe anymore and you, um, you lose oxygen or you, you get zero, you get to zero, um, you start making body checks. And as soon as you fill your body check, um, you know, then you, then you start going down the line. So it's like a saving roll mechanic and it doesn't take very long to get to that point. 
it's you know so so that it brings in that immediacy i think the thing that we forget sometimes when we're trying to do these storytelling situations it, when it comes to mechanics is that we go a, we go down a certain line of logic with the mechanic when we think about it in the process of designing it but we forget about how it applies in story and in story when we're at the table we want things to happen quickly because it keeps that immersion and that tension but a lot of mechanics stop the action entirely or they never come up because we never get that far down the line because time in role-playing games is not time in real life. Right. So, so how do you, you know, how do you build in that tension and how does the mechanic elegantly fold with the narrative so that the tension's maintained and the interest persists. And that's been something that with new in particular, I've really worked at. And in other systems that I ran for a long time where it didn't come up, I modified it as we have all been doing since the birth of role-playing games. Yeah. Some of what I kind of pulled out of that was, you know, also when you come up with something, so like the spacesuit rules, for example, that Tegan created, uh, I think, I think won't get in the way, right? They won't bog it down necessarily. It's a cool little uh, mechanic that you can introduce. Of course, all this stuff is if you want to or not. Um, I think of uh, Savage Worlds a lot. They have their quick encounters uh mechanic within there and i use that a lot um and i wish i've tried to adapt it to 5e um with some success but i think just the dice system and some other factors don't make it perfect but basically it's an encounter comes down to a single die roll and it's the best thing ever like you come up and and you know just throw a situation here like all right your party comes across some stormtroopers and you don't want to go through that slog of two, three, four round combat just because they ran into these troopers while they're escaping the starport, right? Throw down a single roll, narrate what happens, you know, and, and it's a situation where obviously something like that, like it's not going to be deadly. It can be, you know, deadly and, and you know, truly deadly, but there's going to be potentially, you know, some sig significant damage or otherwise. And then we can also always think about, you know, what are the other costs of that? But, you know, you just need a single dice roll to narrate, to help narrate what happened and then advance the story. It doesn't have to bog down with all that stuff every time. And and then you can use that. They use that system, not just combat, but like social encounters and other things. And I think that's great. You know, as you said, just keep the story moving because you come to really this climactic point in the story and then you have to sit for three rounds of combat to fight stormtroopers. Like, does that help us or not? Yeah, we never want to feel like we have to sit and wait for combat to get over. It should be fun and exciting. Um, and all the players should stay engaged. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's that's something that was really important and continues to be important to me in game design. How do you keep how do you keep people paying attention because they may have an opportunity at any time to do something else? Kind of along those ends too, for what would have been some of your favorite mechanics either uh, in your own game or that you've stolen from others that just keep the kind of the flow of uh, the piece uh, within the narrative moving? I think one of the ones I like are um, set pieces or skill challenge um, arrays where each player gets to do something. And if you succeed a number of things, then the thing works. And if you fail, then it doesn't. I think that's a really nice way to do a kind of a montage situation where you don't want to go through every single step of the action, but you can resolve something fairly quickly and everybody still gets to see, is it going to work? You know, so there's a little bit of that tension still built up. So that's when I, that's when I learned primarily from working on carbon, because that's something that, um, that Robert likes to do. And I sort of learned from him and then, um, yeah. And then, so I've, I've used it. I've carried it over. I used it just in the, the con adventure that I ran this weekend. Um, 
that was uh, the first time I've used it in New of Arden, but it, it applies to any system. It's just a matter of how the mechanics work for, for those checks. So that's definitely one of them. Um, that, and then, like I said, in, in New of Arden, in, well, in the fortune system, it's that assist roll. The assist roll says a player has a die and they're holding on to it and they're waiting for a chance to use it. And so they're literally waiting for their ally to fail so they can help them succeed. So they're hoping that that comes up, but there's still a risk there because they may roll something that costs them something because they failed their role as well. So there's always that give and take again and the tension maintains. And, and that's why we do this. It's how it's immersive because the emotion and the tension keep us invested in the narrative. I love that. Yeah, I love that mechanic. I think that's that's it's really great in action, you know, seeing that of like help would be really great here, but you know, you can't always, you know, it's, it's not guaranteed help. So yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Tegan, any for you, same question back to you, uh, custom mechanics that you've either anything you've written or, or devised or other things that you would really enjoy out there. As to what I, I just, just experienced this last week was something I'm going to be stealing going forward. Uh, in the, uh, the cipher system, specifically the, the old gods of Appalachia game using the cipher system, uh, GM intrusions. It's a fun mechanic and the way they do it is really cool. Uh, it's basically like GM intrusions. And I know every GM has sometimes set up something they want to happen. Uh, but then dice rolls or whatever just kind of fail them at the moment and it completely goes awry. Uh, GM intrusions make whatever that thing is happens. So you get to pick one player and pick on them and whatever that thing is, whether they sink into some quicksand or whatever it is, it happens. Uh, but the cool thing with that is both uh, the player gets uh, in their system an XP point. The XP is kind of similar to inspiration in other systems because you can spend them to like do narrative effects or uh, for re-rolls, anything above on that side. Uh, but it gives them one of those XP points uh, and also gives an XP point that they can hand out to another player too. Uh, so two XP points total for it. So two kind of inspirations uh, that they can kind of use to change the narrative or change their roles. And I think it's a fun one. Uh, this because you, you get to have your GM moment of whatever happens, happens. Uh, you get to introduce the narrative tension, but the players also get some things that they can use to take control of the narrative later too. So I really enjoyed that. So that would be working into other systems too. That reminds me of something that you, when you say that I love a system where failure is how you gain experience. Definitely. Call of Cthulhu, that was another cool one with them too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's great. Those storytelling things. One thing that like doesn't get used a lot in in Savage Worlds uh, with their Benny token, which is kind of their inspiration type piece, is in those you can use to like make rerolls and other things. But one option you can do per the rules is to influence the story. And I think people just don't, players don't think about that enough, but I think that's a great thing uh, to allow in any system is, is allowing the players to influence the story. Be like, oh, you know, we would have had those items on hand, or I know a guy that does this, this for the situation. It helps out, you know, there are, there's gotta be a cost of course, but allowing that, I think, cause you know, you just come up to a situation and, and it's tough to plan for every single scenario as a party, as a player, as you know, a GM. And so when you have those outs, I think that just allows that opportunity for, for the story to just kind of open up and, and do more. I love that one. I feel like it brings players to the table. Uh, I've played the most of that with mutants and masterminds or hero points because you can change one thing with the narrative. And yeah, just players can get creative with it too. And like as long as you have good players that are going to try to like win with those things, they try to find ways to enhance the story. You can have a lot of fun with it. Ty, uh, remind me, is there an inspiration type of mechanic in New of Arden? Actually, yes. It's a later rule that we added. It's okay. called a key a key point. 
Uh, what a key point does so anytime a player does something phenomenal at the table, whether it's role playing or a strategy or clever, you know, idea or something, the GM or seer can award a key point, K-E-Y, and then everybody gets one. And the characters can carry up to two. And what they allow the player to do is anytime the player can make a dice roll, even if per, uh, per primacy doesn't apply, they can still use a key point to influence the die roll. So it's it, it overrides that primacy limitation where in some instances, like on the assist roll or on challenge rolls, or in some situation where you don't have the discipline, you may not be able to change your die because you don't have primacy. You can still use your key point to do that. And so it gives you an override. And that's our answer to that. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. Uh, another one I want to, because we've talked about this a lot, you and I, Ty, um, I think in relation to, you know, mothership, but um, a push mechanic. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think that's one I'd, I'd love to discuss here because I don't believe, uh, so Star Wars 5e has, I think push, I would say the exertion uh, variant rule would be similar to a push mechanic. So for those not familiar exertion, you can roll Tegan, um, you roll your hit die, roll your hit die. Uh, so you don't spend it, you just roll whatever that value is. And then you can apply that value to a roll that you made. The cost being your HP goes down by that amount, uh, you know, and, and I what I love is how that takes HP away from that like true physical health. It's just this mm -hmm. like, you know, narrative of this hit protection or whatever, um, and, and you're reducing, because that could be a mental thing. It could be a physical thing. Like your HP is not just, you know, you're bleeding out type thing, but that would be a similar type push mechanic. I've introduced it in some games here, allowed players to utilize that. And I think that's really good. Ty, give us thoughts or examples on push mechanics that you've seen out there that are uh, you've really liked. Uh, Cthulhu has one where if you fail your role, you can push it. But if you fail that, then your consequences are as bad as they can get. Uh, that's that's pretty much a, yeah, but it's an old rule. I think that's like a first example of a push rule that I ever mm -hmm. saw in a, in a system that goes back to, you know, probably decades of development. Um, there's something else bouncing around in my head that I can't quite pinpoint um, how it works. I can't remember what game it is. That's why it's holding me up. But um, speaking of new of Arden, again, you know, you can spend primacy to re-roll. But because you've used your primacy to re-roll, if your dice still don't reach what you're trying to achieve, you can't then use more primacy to change the die rolls because you can only apply the primacy once. Mm -hmm. So you're still so the cost there is spending resources, and that's really the the exchange in like New of Arden. Whereas in some other games, the push roll is if you fail your push, then it affects your your characters like abilities or something like that. So there's different ways to do it, and I think they're all interesting though, and. Um, and I, and I have said mothership would benefit from a push roll, a push roll. I, I definitely love the push rolls. Uh, Call of Cthulhu is great. Uh, I think my favorite probably is Blades of the Dark's uh, Devil's Bargain, uh, where you get to have, I kind of make some terms with your GM game master, but something bad's going to happen, we can proceed on this role. So I always like, as you said, the consequences behind that and kind of uh, what the players will agree to to succeed in whatever they're trying to do. Yeah, bringing the players into this, uh, I, I love that uh, element, right? And I think, you know, GMs, don't be scared of that. Players, don't be scared of that. If you want to introduce a mechanic like this, where it's more of a bargaining type thing, like, yes, you can reroll, but if you fail, the outcome is going to be worse. And then, player, what is that outcome? You know, what is that outcome going to be? Tell me, 
you get to decide, you know, and then obviously there's, there can be a discussion there because you can't just say like, oh, you know, I just stubbed my toe. Like, I think for the most part, players are going to want to get into that narrative and, and, you know, they'll get into the moment and enjoy that aspect where they get to tell that side of the story too, um, even if it had a negative impact to their character, you know, but I think that's really fun. You know, the other side of that is allowing them that chance, you know, that re-roll or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I actually found that some players would be harsher than I am. So it's not to quit this, so it's fun to see. Yeah. I like what you said, Todd, about that that exchange with the GM as well. Um, I have had players that were so afraid of what I might do as the GM that they wouldn't take the risk. And it's it's unfortunate because ultimately, if you're a responsible GM, you're not just going to punish the player. That's not the the job isn't to punish the character, it's to create a memory a memorable narrative. Right. Um, and, and I, I, if I may real quick, I had a, a character in 5e that, um, came in as a paladin of justice and, uh, picked up a cursed sword within like two sessions that over the next two years of actual play gradually ate him alive and converted him to a, um, a, what do you call it? A, a, an oath breaker. And when it came down to it, he literally had single digit permanent hit points. He was sitting on a bluff in a rainstorm outside a lighthouse, ready to die. And the party finally intervened. None of that would have happened though, that arc. And there's more to that arc as you can imagine that I'm even detailing here. If the player had not been willing to lean into what I threw at him. Right. But instead it's something we talk about all the time, you know, years later. Did you present, um, was the player aware of, of this cursed, like they knew there was a curse and they kind of were like, how did, how did that play out? Or was it like it, they found that out later on? Well, they found it out after they picked up the item. Cause the way it works in yeah. 5e is, you know, you get stuck with it once you get the glue on your hand and, okay. um, you know, and, and so when I first started, um, you know, unveiling the mechanic, it wasn't clear immediately what the mechanic was. Right. Um, it gave him a plus two. So that's a tasty little, you know, item, especially at like fifth level. Um, it was like eighth level maybe, or ninth before that curse finally got broken. So imagine the growth period yeah. when his character was literally, I mean, his whole image changed. His steed went to an, to a nightmare from a, like a white stallion and all this kind of stuff um, played out. And he knew by then that it was slowly killing him because it was turning him into a white because that's what he took it off of. So there's a whole thematic thing as well. And that's a whole nother topic to discuss when your items and your rule mechanics and things like that fit thematically with the world that you're playing in or, or the setting. Um, that's something I think it's overlooked a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's wonderful. Uh, yeah. Been a fantastic conversation. Uh, Ty, let's, as we've kind of come to a close here, um, what would you offer maybe some advice or just thoughts uh, to GMs or players, uh, anyone out there that's thinking about items or mechanics, uh, both, uh, you know, devising up some of that stuff? Uh, what would be your just single pieces of advice for that? Uh, I think it's two different things when it comes to mechanics. Why do you want to make the change and what is the change you're looking for? And then work it out until it's satisfying to you rather than just a different way of doing it. I think a lot of times we'll say, well, I don't like the way this is done. So we'll just do it this way and then stop thinking about it. And of course, you know, it's different when you're doing it homebrew for yourself versus if you're doing it professionally and you're trying to put it out to 
a consumer who's got to understand how it works and the balance has to be there more specifically. When it comes to items, it's a little more freewheeling, but you you got to remember too, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to oversell that, like that sort of childish notion of being the, you know, the nuclear bomb in the closet. You know what I mean? It's like, there still always needs to be that balance. So if you're getting something, what are you giving up? Is it a, a time frame? Is it a, a, you know some sort of limit? Um, what happens if you use the ability um, and it's very strong that causes you to be weak afterwards or something like that? So it's again that balance. And then of course the mechanics, you do have to play test them a bit to make sure they're doing what you want them to do and then adjust from there, uh, especially if you're doing it professionally. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. All wonderful stuff. Tegan, any last thoughts on the topic? Definitely one quick one. I know this is probably one we're going to have a whole episode on, but uh, you touched on it before. I, I think we just have a quick word of advice for the viewers would be great. Um, how do you work theme in when you come up with mechanics and items? Just kind of a, a quick take on that. Uh, as quick as I can. I, if I if I look at Newvard in specific, it's an earth punk setting. And well, what is earth punk? And so thematically there, the land is has a role in the encounters and in the way that it influences people and, and the, the characters and things like that. And this is something that's been developing more as the game has been developing because I didn't even know it was an earth punk setting until we were like two years into it. And actually uh, someone else had um, uh, Candace Magnificent had actually called it um, earth punk in a post in reference to it. And I'm like, that is it. That is what it is. And that was brilliant. And so, just glommed onto that. And so thematically what happens is any of the encounters, the settings, a lot of the effects, they reflect the land in some way. Um, uh, whether it's like an elemental kind of thing or um, just, just uh, the way that uh, like, like the adventures are set. The, the, the land is part of the name, like mall of the mountain um, artifact in the desert, uh, the water King, things like that. And so it keeps that cohesion so that you're not, you know, I think one of the risks of like 5e D&D is that it tries to be this huge mosaic of everything fantasy and it's nothing then. It's just a watery kind of version of what fantasy could be. So I, I guess it's a matter of focus. Um, how do you hold that sense of place in the, the things that you introduce and the way that the game is played? Wonderful note to end on. Uh, Ty, this was fantastic. Thank you very much for being here with us. Uh, we'll sure. definitely have to consider another conversation down the road, potentially lots more to talk about, I'm sure. So best of luck in further development with your game. Uh, anyone that hasn't yet uh, check out new Varden, uh, go ahead and give us a quick spiel on where they could maybe check that stuff out. Everything. If you're interested that you want to know about what I'm doing, what's going on with the company and also what's going on with my partner in crime, my daughter, Aaron Dippity, uh, uh, you can find it at adventureslang.com. The, the website's got it all. And uh, we also have a podcast over there, Todd, as you know. And um, so there's stuff to see and stuff to listen to and uh, our calendar and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the beta rules, the beta rules are old. They're outdated, but they're there and you can check them out and see kind of what's going on. Yeah, definitely check that out if you haven't. A really fun system. Uh, and we'll make sure to have a link to Adventure Slaying in the show notes so everyone out there listening can get right to it and check that stuff out. So yeah, again, Ty, thank you so much. It was great to have you on. Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. All right. Fantastic conversation there with Ty. Just just a wonderful, you know, he has such a wonderful mindset or mind towards uh, the games and playing those, creating those things like that. So be sure to check out uh, Nuo Varden 
and um, you know, let us know what you think of that as well. Let us know what are your favorite custom mechanics, maybe ones you've come up with or ones that you've borrowed from other games to bring into Star Wars 5e, something like that. Uh, it's always great to see that inspiration from other players and GMs out there. That is it for today's episode. We thank all of our listeners, followers, and subscribers. Appreciate it very much. Uh, we'll see you on the next one. May the Force be with you. May the Force be with you.